Welcome to the first Roach Pod on the road live event here at Emerson College. And it is a real honor to be joined by Sam Presti, the Emerson class of 2000, mm-hmm. and the uh, executive vice president and general manager of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Thanks, Roach. Yeah, first I, and I know, I know Sam feels, uh, this way. We've talked about it all day. The, the welcome we've got at Emerson today has been remarkable and the work people have put in, uh, for months from our, from, uh, here at Emerson and, and our group with ESPN to help, uh, put this in place has really been neat. This is unlike anything either of us have done before and, um, just, you know, it, what was really amazing, I was taking the train up this morning uh, from Jersey and got an email from the school. And I said, wow, they're not even on campus yet. And they're already welcoming me. But um, I look closer. It was my daughter, Annie's <laughs> second semester tuition bill. So um, I think I have to pay it before I leave tonight. Or um, we probably can't bring our stuff back. So. Uh, listen, this is going to be a, a fun night. A lot to talk about with Sam, Oklahoma City Thunder, the NBA. Maybe talk a little bit about the summer, the wild summer of uh, 2019 in the NBA. And, and, and maybe take a little walk down memory lane here at Emerson College. So uh, let's, let's start here, Sam. Free agency starts in July. You get on the road. You're going to sign some role players to complement your star core of Paul George, Russell Westbrook. And you get a call from Aaron Mintz, who is Paul George's agent. And he tells you that Paul George would like a trade to play with Kawhi Leonard, preferably with the Clippers. Where are you when you get that call and have that conversation and what happens when you hang up? What, what goes into motion for you? Um, well, the first thing is, uh, first I just want to say it's it's really uh, great to be here. I appreciate you you even uh, you know asking me to do this. It's really unique and really special. So I just want to make sure, and I want to thank everyone from uh, from the school as well. So, but uh, with respect to that point in time, um, you know, my first reaction to that was um, I was a little surprised. Because it was because of the timing, um, Aaron and Paul were and have been amazing to work with. I mean, I think it's important to note that you know PG stayed during a period of time where he, he had a lot of options, um, and and I think that that went a long way with us as an organization. But um, it's it takes you back a little bit. Um, I think in my my earlier days. When I was uh, really early doing this, I, I probably would have reacted differently. To be honest with you, um, I think that I think my pride probably would have got in the way a little bit. I probably probably would have said uh, I would have taken offense to it. I think over time, uh, I was able to look at it, you know, and say, okay, well, first things first, I, I need to get out to LA. I need to sit down. I need to talk to him. Because I think those types of conversations are are better, you know, face to face, man to man. And then, uh, and Aaron was was great about that. He was he was delivering the news. He had told me that you know, listen, Kawhi and him have been talking for 
a, a little while now, and it got to the point where it felt like it was uh, they want something they wanted to bring to me. And you know, I think I'd be I would have been foolish to one to just ignore that because you know you can't ignore that he's he's such an important piece to to your team. But the other thing is, um, I've learned over the years like there's always a solution, and I think you've got to be opportunistic several different ways and one of them was like first let's talk let's lean on the relationship that we have developed over the year a year and a half or so that we were together and in that conversation with with paul you know the thing i explained to him was like i did a lot of listening and you know we understood you know with where we were as a as a team financially i thought we had probably one more year with that team Um, but in the third smallest market it's hard to house those types of those types of players, especially because we're on the tail end of about a decade, you know, uh, run. So things get really expensive. But the great thing about Paul was I said, look, I'm going to look at this, but it's got to make sense for everybody. And if we open that door, we just got to know that if it doesn't work out, we got to go back to work. We got to, you know, and um, luckily, I think through a lot of trust, relationship, opportunity, um, the Clippers obviously had done an amazing job, uh, and um, and there was just a confluence of events that allowed that to happen. But a lot of a lot of listening, and I think trying to be open minded, solution oriented, and trying to find a way to make it work for every single person, knowing that I, th- I think we knew kind of the direction that it was gonna it was gonna go, whether it was now or later. But later, there probably wasn't going to be Kawhi Leonard, you know, involved in this, which was kind of the swing the swing piece in, in all of it. When you start to calibrate in your mind, Sam, of, okay, if we're going to talk about a deal. What can we get back in this? Do you immediately start to think, well, the Clippers aren't just trading for Kawhi Leonard. They're trading with us to get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and that's essentially what my package should be because if Kawhi doesn't get that second player in L- with the Clippers, he almost assuredly at that point goes to the Lakers. Um, is that what made it feel pretty unique that maybe in this moment of time we're never going to have more leverage to do a deal like this? I, I, don't, I don't know if I look at it like so much as like leverage is like opportunity, um, knowing that um, you know, PG had a couple years on his, on his contract left, which is extendable which is a, a pretty important thing, I think, in the whole thing. Um, the other thing that people don't, I don't think people think about quite a bit on this is um, the, the Davis trade. That had to be done, um, I think, by 9 o'clock the next morning. And um, there, there would have needed to be, I'm, I'm kind of getting the sequencing probably wrong in my head, but there was a little bit of a deadline in there for the Lakers, and for Kawhi. So I think everybody knew that if he was going to go there, it needed to happen relatively quickly. Otherwise, that cast space was going to be used by on the Davis trade. So um, there were some different benchmarks that I think led us to think that if this was going to happen, it's probably going to happen within a short period of time. And, um, you know, I think the other thing is, is we are in an era now where the players – really have a significant amount of influence over the league and the rules and a lot of different areas. And so we tried to actually look at that and, and say, okay, how, how do we benefit from that 
particular situation where the players are driving this. And through a lot of cooperation and communication, one of the things I'm most proud about is the Clippers walked away ecstatic. They should be. They've got an incredible team, uh, an an incredible front office. And um, Paul George is happy. His family is happy. Uh, I think Kawhi Leonard, you know, got what he was looking for. And for us, you know, based on where we were after 11, 12 years, um, the finances and the fact that I think he always was going to want to play in L.A., um, you know, it was time for us to turn the page a little bit too, given where we were headed in, in a small market like Oklahoma City, like those draft assets and um, swaps, those are the lifeblood of, of how we sustain ourselves. There's no reloading. So that's how we looked at it. Five first-round picks, uh, two pick swaps mm-hmm. in the deal. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, which is the best kind of, like a first-round pick that you already know is yeah. a good one. So realized, you yeah. have abstract picks, and then you have a player like him who you knew was going to be very good. And then Danilo Gallinari, who... Uh, who plays for you, helps your team this year, and has value if if you decide to, to move him on. When you hang up the phone, it was very late at night when the agreement, I remember I was told that night that you better be ready to stay up to about 5 or 6 in the morning for this one to get done. And I want to say it was much earlier than that. Maybe it was around 2, 2.15, sometime Eastern. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that is a long, arduous negotiation back and forth. You go to L.A. and I think you were back in Oklahoma City then, right? I was in. I was on the West Coast. Though. You were still on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. I was on East Coast time. That's right. <laughs> when you hang up the phone and the deals agreed to, and you have spent a decade plus chasing championships in Oklahoma City, and I, I think it's an interesting stat uh, coming into this year, the Thunder were the fourth winningest organization in all of sports over that 10-year period. Can you name the three that are ahead of you? Well, I'm Patriots. Patriots. Spurs. Spurs. Um, Used to be Packers. Used to be Packers. It used to be Packers. Um, Steelers. Steelers are three. Packers were right. Packers and Seahawks are right around you with a um, uh, decimal point. So I remember the Packers because I remember we were that was part of the presentation to keep Kevin, and didn't, that didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in fact, I will say this: the last time I did this with Adrian was before we had uh, free agency for Kevin. So whatever happens after this, it's got to go better than that. Jinx. Yeah, uh, yeah. You you came on the Woj Pod in New York. And, and made your initial pitch to KD. I'm not sure he listened to it. No, Either I don't way. think so. I don't think that, 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 may have been, that may have been down the road yeah. a little bit. But the emotion in that moment where you've traded Paul and I think the sense was things were going to start to be in motion for Russell Westbrook. And, you know, you, you went to an NBA Finals. You went to multiple conference finals. You were up 3-1 and it took a wild Clay Thompson performance to, you know, keep them in a series and then help them eventually close it out. When you're that close and you're in that win-now mode, and, and I think what was always interesting about how you guys did it in Oklahoma City, you were always in a win-now mode, but you were never, 
you hadn't sacrificed your future. You were able to develop young players, bring in veterans, and, and you you had a pipeline of guys developing as you were trying to win, which is a hard yeah. it's hard to do both. What is the emotion in that moment where you say that that runs over and and most teams in the league don't get a decade of that. The cycles are quicker. Yeah. What do you remember about just the emotion of, of hanging up the phone and and what's next? Um, well, I mean, anytime you're done with something like that, for sure. I mean, that's such a inflection point moment. Um, you know that there's. Well, first of all, it was the middle of free agency, so I, I, I thought when Mike Muscala and Alec Burks committed that we were we were wrapping it up. <laughs> so, um, so it was kind of it was a really like kind of a, a, a violent change of, of directions. But, um, I mean, you know that there's a lot of work ahead. I think there's there's no real time to reflect. I don't think on the on the past, but I think you know that things are going to change. Uh, you're preparing yourself to speak with Thad uh, Fouché, who's uh, Russell's agent, who happened to be Shea's agent. So that was an interesting conversation. Um, and luckily we have, let's see, 12, 13 years of relationship with him. Um, and you start thinking about, you know, what's next? Like, how, how do we, how do we, how do we go into another professional conversation about what's next with with Russell because uh, he is just immeasurably valuable to the community of Oklahoma City. That's one thing, and a lot of people here from Boston, uh, Massachusetts area, um, working in. I've only worked in San Antonio and um, in Oklahoma City, and then one year in Seattle. But in these smaller cities, the role that the teams play is just it's it's really it's really moving it's crazy and um i knew that that was going to be when you know with westbrook that he had he had helped shape the entire city and, and durant as well i mean those guys arrived at a time that you know they were they were kids and as you said like people generally don't stay for three years anymore two years that these guys happen to be in the second smallest market in the nba for close to 10 and they they accomplished a lot. Obviously, obviously, we didn't get the final piece, but we were knocking on the door all the time. Um, but but Russell's Russell's impact, I think, and, and Kevin's as well. All those guys from those early teams. That's going to last so much longer than their playing careers, you know, because of what they. I think what they did and, and the confidence they brought to that city and that community and the, the time they put into the different community centers and the people and. It was uh, it was like a startup company in two thousand and eight. You know, we're all we're all young. At that time, where were you and Russell Westbrook in your conversations about his future there? What it would look like? Did it feel sustainable anymore to build a franchise around him? At, at that point, once Paul, um, once we had completed everything with Paul, I think it was. I think I think Russell knew that. You know, for him, where he was in his career, it was probably, you know, what what's going to happen, you know. And we we knew the same thing. I mean, he's just he's at that point where he must be playing for something. Um, and there's only so many teams a year that come into the to the NBA, you know, that really feel like they can win it. <clears throat> and so, 
you know, as difficult as that trade was to work on with Russell, because it was truly like the closing of, of a particular chapter, it was one of the more gratifying things I've ever done, just because of the communication that was taking place. I was talking to him directly with Thad, but I really wanted to speak with Russell. And I, because that's another thing that I've learned over the years is that you, you, you got to make sure you're talking to the guys. Because sometimes the things you're saying may not be making, it may be, it may not be intentional or malicious, but context is everything and making sure things are delivered correctly. And, and Russell and I talked quite a bit during that and, um, I kept him updated and, he really, that's, you know, where he wanted to go. And again, just like with PG, like we were able to find a way to make it work for everybody. Obviously, we're not doing those things unless they make sense for us. But um, I think if you, again, like in my, in my earlier days, I don't know that it would have been happening as much. But, but I really have learned over the years, and I think it helps you with the guys too because you can really understand where they're coming from. And, um, and they can understand directly from you how you're how you're operating what have you learned through the era of dealing with you had at different times three future mvps on your roster you drafted james harden you drafted russell westbrook you obviously drafted kevin durant and there are gms and there's organizations who never have one player like that who they learn to you go through their development. You learn to go through negotiations with them, coaching changes, any number of things that a yeah. star player is going to be involved with. Huge wins, heartbreaking losses. What are you better equipped at now after having run the gamut with them? Three very different people, um, different players, but ultimately, you know, the kind of cornerstone guys that every organization needs to, to yeah. win with. Well, first thing is, um, I mean, tremendous amount of gratitude, as you said, like to have those types of players uh, within a, a decade period of time. Paul George, you know, um, you know, being in that group and then now having Chris, yeah. obviously, like it's another it's another Hall of Fame player uh, that that's that's with the team. Um, well, the things I definitely learned from those early stretches and then when we were, you know, the, the latter years, just where we're six net rating team year after year after year. Um, I would say that um, each one of those guys, each each one of those elite players, and I would bring this back to my days in San Antonio too because I was so lucky to be around um, Duncan or Ginobili, Parker. They're all so different. They're also different. That's what makes them great. If they're all the same, they'd be the the you know the average group of player. Like they're so unique mentally, um, physically, emotionally, and especially where they are in their careers. Um, I think you know. I think I think if anything, for me, what I learned about those teams is like how transformative those those players can be to a community. Um, just what they can do, as I said, kind of touched on earlier with Russell, like just the uplifting that they can have, just being present, how valuable they are. Um, aside from how good they are, everybody knows how good they are, but um, the the span of time also is different because the NBA is a completely different place than it was three or four years ago. We had those guys. The league was different. It was almost three CBAs ago. Tiso is the official watch 
of the NBA. Check out the latest timepieces on us.tsoshop.com in jewelry stores nationwide and on the wrists of NBA stars like Trey Young, Clay Thompson, and more. Tiso is also the official timekeeper of the NBA and is bringing you a special opportunity tied to the most iconic moment in the game, the buzzer beater. Every time a buzzer beater happens, fans will be rewarded with prizes including flyaway trips, autographed merch, game tickets, and more. Sign up now at us.tisoshop.com slash buzzerbeater to enter for your chance to win. Don't wait as a trip to the NBA All-Star 2020 will be rewarded soon. Tiso, this is your time. Mike Connolly, uh, when Mike Connolly got traded from Memphis to Utah, uh, we talked, we were at Summer League, and I was talking to Connolly about he and Marcus Gasol, and, and Marcus Gasol was funny. I mean, he got traded first, and Mark went to Toronto, and, you know, Mark would say, I'd be sitting on the bus, and I'd look over to say something to Mike, and I realize he's not here. Right. And Connolly would call Gasol and say, what is it like to wear another uniform? Like, those two were so committed to Memphis, and they wanted to make it work, and they accomplished a lot. The, the group around them was never good enough for them to win, but you never really heard those guys complain much about it. It was always, we're the franchise guys. We need to do more. And even to the end, when things weren't great in Memphis, they still wanted to fight through it. And I was asking Mike about that, and he said, listen, Gasol and I grew up in an NBA where we wanted to emulate the Spurs. We saw Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and we said that's what it's supposed to be like. That's who we are supposed to be. And now there's a generation of players who come in who don't remember, you know, aren't didn't come into the league trying to beat that Spurs team. They saw LeBron go to Miami and Chris Bosh go to Miami. They saw, you know, Kevin go to Golden State. And it's the model for players is it is different. And even when you do the extension with Paul George, you've got Russell under contract for multiple years. You still had Paul left for two years. But from the day you traded for Paul, he signs an extension. It ended up just being a two-year window. And it's almost as if when the players say the contract's over, the contract's over. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what's changed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I again, I think, as I said earlier, like you're talking about those Memphis teams. Like, I remember when we would play Memphis and – it was like it was like an AAU game. I mean, how young everybody was on the court. Rudy Gay was on some of those teams, and um, the, the 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 spirit of those games was amazing because they were they were they were winnable games for both for both teams at that time. Um, but the league changes; things change. What what really strikes me in is I don't know this to be fact because I don't know what the future holds, but. I feel like the for us for for where we were, we were kind of on the tail end of that honoring longevity period where um, you get to the end. Those guys play together for eight years or something like that. I, I, maybe there'll be some guys that play together for eight years, but the if the if the past is the best predictor of the future, the recent past, it's probably going to speed up a little bit. Volatility is kind of the is kind of king in the current NBA and. Um, uh, and I don't know that that's good or that's bad. It depends your, what your perspective is because society is changing too. 
You know what I mean? I think um, people are you know, days of uh, growing up and, and maybe wanting to work at IBM for your entire life. The, the, the generations that are coming up, they they want to move. They like movement. They, I mean, it's one of the reasons why they're like they follow you constantly because you're the front end of. In, in any case, and if anyone hasn't realized, we were a little late because Adrian had to get some news out there <laughs> before we started. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I, just a changing MBA. I think you got to be adaptable. I don't think you can sit there and be pessimistic about it. Um, you, you've got to find ways and solutions and think creatively. But um, the one thing you know about the MBA, and this is this is the data is there to prove this. Wherever you are, wherever you are today, it's almost statistically, it's very very hard to stay in the same range of or station of the league five years later. As dominant as the Warriors were, um, or even I would never compare us to the Warriors, but like we had a nice five-year run of like four out of six uh, Western Conference Finals, things like that. Everyone's being pulled to the middle. Or if you, everyone from the best teams are being pulled to the middle, and the teams on the, on the bottom are being pulled to the middle. And so everyone's fighting against that. If you're in the middle, there's a better chance you're going to stay there. But that, that to me is the thing. It's just really hard to sustain anything unless the, the Spurs are the exception and they've been able to do it. You know, Sam, we come into a season where everybody was excited about, hey, there's parity in the NBA. There might be five or six teams who have a chance to win a championship when, you know, there had been a run where Golden State had been the prohibitive favorite. They had won multiple titles. Is five or six teams having a chance to win a championship? Is that parity? In a def- league of thirty it, teams and a lot of small markets. I think it depends. I think it. I think it depends on what your definition of, of success is. I think it depends on what your definition of competition is. I think it depends on where you're coming from. Um, I think there's definitely a sigh of relief in the league that I, mean, I think for the last several years, Golden State was kind of assumed that something would have to go wrong. Um, for them not to win it. And that, that is a reason for people, I think, to watch too, because they're watching if that thing does go wrong. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but, um, I don't think we're gonna know if this is what ultimately people want, because we're just now kind of recalibrating back to where we were in 2012. Um, and we'll see. I mean, but certainly you've got, you've got a lot of different teams that are capable this year, and, um, and great players, and I think all the player movement keeps people obviously totally entrenched and following the league, you know, all year round. Um, but would you would you agree with that? That it's 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 a little bit adaptive. Yeah, and more than ever, it is a twelve month sport. Yeah, but it isn't a twelve month sport. There's a basketball season. The season has started. The ratings across the board are significantly lower, and there's reasons. I mean, you could, you know, we had Zion on in the, we would have New Orleans on the preseason. Zion gets hurt. He's not playing. You know, Steph Curry gets hurt, and Golden State's on a lot. Impacts there. And I think, you know, last year, that opening week, you know, we had LeBron's first game in L.A. against the Rockets. There wasn't a comparable game. So come up with a bunch of reasons. But there's been a dramatic uh, drop and we'll see how long it lasts. And I think lots of people can debate what are the reasons. 
But I know this, in July, when I'm reporting on Clippers-Oklahoma City trade and then a uh, Oklahoma City-Houston deal for Westbrook-Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard's going to the Clippers, there had never been more interest. There had never been more, like, by every measure we have, it was through the roof. And this started, for me, covering the league it started in 2010 when LeBron went to Miami, and it changed the way we covered the league. It changed. Free agency became a 12-month-a-year thing. I mean, I don't think you loved waking up one day in February of 2016 to a story. In, was it was it February? January? Which story? The Durant, that, that Golden State was... A distinct possibility for Durant. Yeah. Well, I was just think I was just thinking to myself. Well, at least it didn't come in January. <laughs> could have been worse. But yeah, the, the that type of interest um, in the league is obviously really good. The ratings thing to me is interesting because um, you know this isn't the first time. If you back that out, the ratings. In let's say three years ago, there's injuries, you know, to, to great players. I'm sure. I mean, for us, I can actually tell you for sure. Kevin missed the majority of that season. I mean, he, had, he had three foot surgeries. Russell missed 20 games, uh, and Serge missed the end of the season. I was a that, so, and I'm sure there's plenty of other examples of uh, that even in that season. So, but the ratings then were fantastic, and there I'm sure there's always going to be injuries. Um, the parody and all those things we just talked about, like there was more than what the Warriors hadn't been fully formed. The spike hadn't happened yet. Um, so you were kind of in this kind of state we are in right now. So the ratings have been really good. The to me, the, and I, this is more than you might be able to answer this. I don't, I don't know, but like, I don't know how, because of the way people are watching sports, how they're consuming. In fact, it's, it's because we're here in a college campus. I don't know how many people out here are, are like have a te- television or are just watching on their phone. I don't know how the data is being gathered. I trust that obviously the people at the, the league officer, they know how to do all that stuff, but are we counting it correctly? Are the ratings, is it more consumer? Or are we just counting a different bucket that has been diluted uh, because people have been hurt? Um, uh, that particular season that, uh, or three or four years ago, that was when there was like four or five teams in really, really aggressive rebuilds. Ratings were great. You know, so I just think culture changes, society changes, and, um, I applaud Adam for looking at a hundred and, you know, different ideas and solutions. The midseason tournament, I remember being on the competition committee, um, before I rolled off, my term rolled off. We were talking about this three or four four years ago, you know, this, the midseason. Um, There's a different urgency to it now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but even when we were, even when the ratings were really good, this was still a, this was still a topic. Adam has wanted that that midseason tournament has been something Adam Silver and he has said it. It's a European, really European soccer model. Um, is that to you a potential solution to what's a very long? 82-game regular season, The as we reported recently, the proposals are like 78-game regular season with a uh, possibility of you could play games in the uh, midseason tournament. You could possibly be in the play-in to get the 7th or 8th seed. Um, most teams that play 78 or 79 games, there could potentially be one team that could play 82 or 83 if they were in all of those. 
is that to you a solution to bring life to a very long regular season that we all know maybe it should be 66 games, maybe it should be 70, but we know financially that is too big of a hit for everybody to take for it to be realistic. Or is that just a, uh, is that just a potential money maker? Like, can it, ideally it's both, right? You could make a lot of money on it and it brings interest to the league. Where, where, where do you fall on that? I, I don't know for sure. I honestly don't really know. In fact, I, I learned a lot from this, from your story, actually. It's very informative. I mean, I, I didn't realize we were that, we were, the league was this far down the line, especially combining play in tournament, midseason, and receding. Um, if they package all that together and one vote, and by the way, the receding, if if we were – now, the receding um, alignment would be the final four teams, the right. conference finalists in East and West. What the league would love to do is reseed the playoffs 1-16. to 16. If we took a vote of the Western Conference teams on reseeding, it I would can be vote now. 15, 15-0, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, and then the guys in the East who know, hey, I can make the playoffs and get some playoff dates with like 38 wins, they're not yeah, allowing that to, to happen. You have to, yeah, you have to count for that. I wouldn't – it would be good if they attached it together, yeah. you know, um, and you'd find out, like, what people really prioritize. Um, but I think, um, again, it's definitely, there's a financial component to this, for sure. Um, it, but one thing that I really respect about what Adam is looking at, whether this happens or not, my hunch is it's going to happen, um, but is he's taking a really broad view He's applying a lot of strategy to this um, because he's playing a long game. And I applaud it because what he's basically doing is rebuilding or attempting to, in my opinion. He's rebuilding the broadcast platform for the NBA. And while you're doing that early, people may not understand it. In fact, you might take some losses, right? You might take some losses early. People might criticize you. They may not understand what you're doing. People may be unhappy. He's 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 saying, you know, I'm trading six today for twelve in the future because this is where it's going. And the definition of success is continuing to grow fan interest, continuing to grow the league, continuing to grow the pie for the players and uh, the, the 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 ownership of the teams. And to me, he's he's being really bold in pushing that because there may be people that don't understand it or not think it's necessary, but. He's like I said before. He's he's rebuilding. He's rebuilding this particular platform, and people may not understand it right away. But strategically, it's it's the way that you should do things if you want to be sustainable. Sam, do you wonder if there has been a devaluing of the regular season in by teams, players, media, everybody that is contributing to? Maybe some of the malaise that's going on right now, and some of those numbers. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, again, I would come back to when we're looking at the solutions, we have to define the problem we're trying to solve, right? And so, to me, it comes back to the, the data. I would always go back to the data. Like, where is this data coming from? What does it look like? Um, is it being? Is it all being accounted for? Like accurately? I'd imagine that 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 it is. But um, 82 games is a long time. Again, like I said, society has changed. When I was um, when I was younger, um, you know, growing up here, go to a Red Sox game at noon, 
you leave it where I grew up in Concord, you leave at 11, get there, um, you're there for four or five hours probably, and then you get your your home, it's 11 to 6 probably, um, and you're totally can't be reached, you know, and I think people today, because of the access that we have to technology and phones, everyone's attention spans are so much shorter, movement is almost required or necessary, and uh, consumers are the same way, and they. And I think that Adam and in the league in general, all of us are trying to figure out how to balance tradition and respect tradition, uh, but also stay uh, relevant so that you can keep building on that tradition. And that's something that I think Adam's brought to the table that is is great. I don't know that um, this, the the regular season has always had ebbs and flows. So are we conflating the, the, the data, the, the want for the play-in, um, the fact that there's is a little it's a top-heavy league for the most part, but it's it has been. Um, it, it may just be the consumer is looking for something different, and there's so many more options that people have. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't just tag it to one thing. Sam, when small market general managers get together and are talking about the issues they face versus the revenue, the geography, you know, the kind of free agent magnets that the big marketplaces can be, what's the conversation you guys are having with each other about what's got to change to, you know, maybe create, um, close the gap that, uh, close a gap that exists? Well, I think the first thing is in, and I've got to know a lot. You know, obviously, you know all these guys, but um, I, there's a there's a sense of humor to the whole thing. I think to a degree about the fact that you know we're all you know, we're all in a thirty team league. We're all competing, and um, it doesn't mean that you can't be successful by any stretch of the imagination. All you have to do is look at a few of the teams, and there's always been really good mid to small market teams. But it's definitely, uh, I think, I think if anything, it comes down to just a matter of like access to the absolute number one tool that you have to have empirically proven to get into, uh, the, or have the odds in your, not in your favor, but have a chance of playing in the West Finals or the East Finals or something along those lines. Majority of those teams have got all NBA players. So how are you, you know, gaining access to those players? That's what everyone's trying to crack the code on in those particular markets. Um, I don't, to me personally, I, I don't, I think assessing and being pragmatic about the realities, I think that's healthy to, to bury your head in the sand and act like all these places are the same, uh, would be, I don't know, that wouldn't be very smart because every one of the cities has their own strengths, has their own, you know, um, limitations or restraints. Um, what I, what I sense from that group of people is, uh, huge movement of like creativity and willingness to do things that haven't been done to take extreme measures because it's become it's a zero-sum game unfortunately you know um that's just where we are as a, as a league and that is one thing i think adam's really trying to address with the mid-season tournament is that it doesn't come down to you know an injury in the finals or or or, or a, t- a twisted ankle or a bad call or something like that um there's something else to win but um I think everyone's looking for edges and trying to be creative, but you know, 
nothing's going to change in the in the short term. You know, those system things get addressed. Um, you know, periodically, and you know, since we've been in Oklahoma City, there's been three of those changes. Another place the league changed some rules, stiffened some penalties, was in the area of tampering. And if Sam, someone says to you, tampering is unenforceable. Tampering is something that teams who've lost players in free agency complain about and whine about. There's nothing you can do about it. What's your counter to that? Um, I mean, I do think it's, I, I, again, I hate to, I don't mean to sound like a broken record here, but I think some of the steps that are being taken to try to address it. Number one, just, I think, if anything, in the last few years, it's been really, really cool to see is there's a willingness to basically talk about some of these issues openly. That Hey, some of these are real issues. We don't have the solutions. But, like, they're real issues as opposed to pretending that they're not. Because I think you get them out on the table, it takes people's energy and wind out of their sails to be constantly pointing to them because they've been addressed. Yeah, look, some of the stuff we can't catch, it's reality. We'll do our best. We're going to enforce these rules. Um, but it's, it is going to be really hard to address that stuff. Um, but I do think that there's a difference between, um, like, there's a tampering and then there's the interference. And I think interference becomes the... The, the snowball effect or accumulative effect of um, creating divide or disenchantment. When you say there's tampering and there's interference, what would be an example of interference into your team or, or how someone interferes? I don't know. I don't know if I need to define it as much as like just continually um, trying to create divide or distraction strategically to do that, unrest. Um, the league is so volatile as it is anyway. I mean, it's crazy when you think about what happened this summer. The amount, the whole all-star team was, was, was moving around. Um, and if that continues, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm really curious to see if that is something that can continue or not. But just trying to make it, make it hard to come in every day, you know, uh, distract people from – this is such a – it's such a fragile thing. You, I mean, you know this because you've covered it your whole life. The, the the difference between winning and losing in some of these situations, although you'll never remember it, is is so so minor. I'll give you one example. The the year we lost to the Warriors um, in the West Finals, there, um, the people forget we the team we beat to get there were the Spurs, and that Spurs team that we beat on paper, not roster-wise, but just data-wise, that was the best net rating team the Spurs had had in 10 years. And, um, but they lost in the second round. So the quality of that team probably doesn't really get appreciated as much as, you know, one that was able to navigate through all the uncertainties and randomness of the playoffs. But that was like a 10 net rating team that we we just had a, a good matchup against them. And our guys stepped up and made big plays and key moments. But And then we obviously ran into Golden State. But the to have other stuff coming into the equation makes it really hard. But it's, everyone's dealing with it, though. I, I really want to make, make clear that's the case. And the other thing, someone said this to me, I thought was really smart, was um, for the in the NBA, like, there's... 
Only one way things can go right. There's a million ways they can go wrong. So you, you basically need every, to be that team, everything kind of has to go right. And, you know, occasionally you might be that, but all you can do is put yourself in position year in and year out, have some durability and resiliency. To, that's why I think sustainability is important, you know, because there's only one team that can have it all go right for them. And most of the time, it's not even that going right for them. It's things going wrong for the other teams. When you're as big of a basketball fan as I am, you know it's easy to forget about everything else during the season. So 1-800-Flowers.com is here to remind you about all those upcoming birthdays, anniversaries, or special events that might have slipped your mind. No need to panic, though, because 1-800-Flowers will get your bouquet where it needs to go for a price that you won't believe. And right now, 1-800-Flowers is giving my listeners an exclusive 24 for 24 offer. That's 24 multicolored roses for $24. That's only a dollar per rose. They offer beautiful arrangements of premium roses and a variety of colors, perfect for birthdays, anniversaries, my personal favorite screw-ups, or special just-because moments. Picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness, 24 multicolored roses for $24 is an amazing limited-time offer. For life's most important moments, you can trust and depend on 1-800-Flowers.com. To order 24 multicolored roses for $24, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter code WOJ, W-O-J. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code WOJ, W-O-J. Hurry. Offer ends on Friday. When you think back, Sam, to becoming a general manager before your 30th birthday mm-hmm. in Seattle, and you think about what the job was then, when you got up in the morning and you went at it and you went to bed at night, how much different, wasn't that long ago, how much different is the job itself now than it was when you walked into it? Uh, drastically. Drastically. Um, Any for the better? Yeah, I, well, I'm, I, yeah, I think so. I know you're making more now. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> um, it, I would say, yes, I think it's for the better. I think the league has become so much more progressive. Um, I, I think, again, when I was 29, first of all, I was 29, but I was also coming from San Antonio, which is a bit of a cocoon, you know. So I got to, I, I, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but I got to uh, Seattle, and they, they brought me into my office, and they said, uh, here, here are the fines from last year. And I said, fines? I go, in San Antonio, there's no fines. There's no one was really doing anything wrong. <laughs> and, and they said, yeah, well, here's the fines. And there's a one big folder, and then there was a small folder. And they said, here are Danny Fortson's fines. <laughs> they were this big. And then there's another one for the rest of the guys. But... Um, I was drinking literally from a from a fire hydrant early on, and um, just trying to make it through the end of every single day. It was it was overwhelming. The responsibility, responsibility was overwhelming to me. I was blessed to have a lot of really good people around me at that time to kind of keep me on track. Um, but the role I think of the front office has taken on a ton more um, depth and breadth. You're looking not just at you know, evaluating players, 
that used to be a big part of the job. It's there's research and development now. You're you're building your own data architecture. You have people you're working with, in my opinion, and in my like I could say this for myself, that make me feel so foolish and and not very smart regularly because they're so bright, and they're so innovative, and they're young and they are they're brilliant. Um, you know, there's so many more far-reaching pieces of the of the organization now. And then, obviously, the advent when I started, social media wasn't it just it wasn't around. You know, um, um, that is different. And as I said, the three different CBAs, new commissioner, the commissioner change, um, and, and that's that makes me reflect back on the amount of time that that we've that early those early teams had with a different commissioner. We had. We were three CBAs ago. I bet there's only one or two players. I, mean, I don't know. I'll probably get crucified on social media for being <laughs> wrong about this. But I bet there's only a handful of players that are still on the same team, maybe a couple. Um, just so much change in such a little short amount of time. And I think that the job itself has become much more vision-oriented. And if there is one, if there is one thing, I would say that the number one trade, I think, that I would look for in a general manager. I was looking for, I would say resiliency. I would say resiliency and adaptability because this job on a daily basis is extremely, you're going to get your, you're going to get your ass kicked pretty much every day in some capacity. Um, and the ability to, to bounce back from things in such a volatile world, which a lot of it, I think the hardest part for a lot of people is out of your control, some of it, not all of it, but, um, and being able to continually forge ahead and rally the people that you have with you when you're hitting those adversities. So I think the job has changed because it's extremely, extremely public. We're here at Emerson College, and this is like, this is like, this is your life, Sam Presti, the last, I don't know, 12 hours here. It's Players, teammates, your former coach, Hank Smith, who now is an employee of the Thunder. Yeah. I have to call him Hank now. Can't call him coach anymore. Yeah. You know, other, everyone in the, everyone in the room will think we're giving him favorable treatment, so. I, I, I'm gonna test your knowledge of Emerson basketball history. <laughs> the, the record of 21 and 131. What does that represent? Uh, that's the record that the team was before Hank showed up. To have Hank back here now with you and, and your group, explain to people, I mean, we're here in this really neat campus gym. It's really a beautiful facility, and I've been in here a number of times. You know, a lot of NBA teams come to practice. I've done interviews with Steph Curry on those bleachers and Kobe Bryant um, in here and, you know, teams would stay at the hotels nearby. So the guys in the NBA know it because they come through and practice here. Uh, this is not where you played. No. Um, a, a little a little better accommodations than the Chinatown YMCA. Slightly, right? yes. There's definitely been an upgrade here. This has definitely been an upgrade. It's been surreal coming back, I think. Um, uh it's great being here, I think, because, and obviously having coach here, because, uh, you know, a lot of, usually at a school, they have the gym, and they think that's going to attract the players, you know. For for here, we had to win some games. It was like the opposite of cause and effect. You had to, we had to do something 
to get the gym to some of us ago, maybe we should build a gym. You know, it would be a good idea. And, um, you know, that obviously, Hank is a common denominator, all that. Um, and all the different guys that had come through here that um, did a lot of winning. I you know a lot of people that are in the NBA are Div- Division three people. And, uh, you know, winning 20 games at any level, you know, regardless, is, is not an easy thing to do. And um, Hank was able to do that pretty regularly for quite a long time in conditions that were not like this. Um, but he also was able to remind us that somehow he tricked us into thinking that not having a gym, washing your own uniform, literally having no amenity whatsoever to make you feel like you're a college basketball player <laughs> was a strength and that that was our advantage. And um, we totally bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And it's worked out well for some of us. So, I mean, we we've, we definitely have got to the point where um, I think as a group, we've he convinced us uh, in different ways, sometimes verbal, um, you know, that um, that whatever constraints we had, they they were not limitations. And so we developed that over time. And I like to think that all the guys that and we have like thirty guys here that you know they help construct us some in some way. Emerson's impact on the NBA. There was a time, Rob Hennigan, who is up on the wall here uh is he the all-time leading scorer among them he's among he's among i I get a text i get a text from about three or four times a year from teams that are shooting around here and they text they go well rob's name's up there where's yours i go well unless there's a banner for like turnovers or something (laughs) like that i'm not going to be up there but uh yeah rob was an unbelievable player here really really good player um but the the idea to have and think about this when Rob Rob had been he'd worked in San Antonio as you did he was in Oklahoma City went to Orlando to be the GM so there were two general managers in the NBA from Emerson the only other school that had two at the same time was UCLA there were two UCLA uh, grads there and it, this has become a pipeline like Emerson is synonymous in the NBA no, no players in the league although you have a former NBA player Billy Curley is your coach mm-hmm. now but. Among front office, um, front office and coaches, you have Joe Boylan in New Orleans. Rob Hennigan is back with you in Oklahoma uh, City, and it's it's pretty remarkable for you know people think of yeah Boston College put guys yeah. in the NBA Northeastern. We know some NBA history there, but 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 Emerson is on the NBA map. Yeah, it's 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 surreal. I mean, I I don't know that you could. You'd have to have quite the imagination to even make that story, make the story up, you know. And we laugh about it, quite frankly, because it the way things have happened. Um, but it's a it's a long it's a range of people because um, you know I didn't play with Rob and Will Dawkins works with us now as well, and I think he'll be um, someone that rises through the ranks and he'll run his own team one day. But um, Rob didn't play with Will. And Sean McCullion, who is a, a scout for the for the Nets, he hosted me on my visit here. So there's so many different, you know, it spans like 16, 17 years of people. Um, but I don't think any of us could have predicted it. And I think we all are able to put it in perspective that pretty lucky 
had a lot of good fortune, all of us. And then obviously Hank was the driver to, uh, I think, making us think that was maybe not making us think it was possible, make, not, make, not letting us think it was impossible. Sam, Hank was coach until, it's funny, we talked about 21 and 131 before he arrived. Yeah. And his first year, he won 17 games. Yeah. So almost made that 21. And then uh, over stretch, I think like 258, uh, 169. Uh, and and something you don't always see at the Division three level, um, he was let go in 2011 in, in January during a season. Mm-hmm. Um see that in the NBA. You can see that at major college basketball, but you don't usually see it at this level, especially for a coach who had really been the program. What did that do to your group, the, the, the loyalty that you guys have to Hank um, felt? How did it impact everybody's relationship with the school and trying to make sense of why it had happened and, yeah. and, and, and what it meant for you guys going forward with Emerson? Well, I mean, I think it's, it crushed us, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, but the other, th- the one thing I would say is like, and he 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 didn't instill this in us. Like, I don't think anybody had any issues with the fact that you know, institutions have the right to make decisions, and he would tell us that um, all the time, you know, because I think he would breed that kind of like gratitude and reality into all of us. And um, so we, everyone understood that. I think that. Uh, you know, the other thing I would say is he's also really, really hit us hard on you know taking taking the the, the best approach looking forward, not not holding on to things too much. Um, and uh, could some things have been done different? Maybe, but that hasn't affected us from feeling connected to the teams that we that that we were here playing for. And even for us being here now, I mean, we got like thirty guys here. Um, you know, we're we're extremely loyal to him, um, and have always been. Um, but he also has pushed us really hard to take the high road on things and look for the good in things. And to me, um, you know, we were not sitting in the gym without him. That's for sure. We're not sitting in this gym without him. Like I said before, there's no master. There was no master plan. Uh, at Emerson College, I said, we're going to build a gym downtown. I think he kind of forced the issue, to, and it was a great thing for the school and opened up so many opportunities for so many people. Um, but the, to me, the silver lining is I get, to, I get to work with Coach all the time now, you know, because he works with us. And um, he's an unbelievable evaluator, unbelievable. In fact, uh, I'll tell you just a quick story. So he used to make a habit of making sure that I knew that every – that I wasn't as good as any of the high school players around here. It's pretty regular. He took it to such an extreme one night that he actually took me to a game, a high school game, just to show me how much better this player was. And in the truth as it really was, to, to this day, and God love him, I don't never met the man in my life, but there was a kid from Arlington High named Phil Barlow. <laughs> Phil, if you're out there, you crush my confidence. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and to this day, and to this day, when I see point guards, I go, that guy sees the game like Phil Barlow does. <laughs> and, and, uh, I'll never forget it. I mean, and he was a heck of a high school player and played at Arlington High. And, um, uh, there was another time where, um, 
We had, we had a pretty good team my, my, my last year. I know it's not, I don't know how many people are really interested in this, but, um, we had a really good team my senior year and, but there was a freshman, there was a freshman, there was a senior in high school that coach was recruiting like, it was unusual. He was in New Jersey, this guy named David Miller. And he would just, any mistake that was made, he would just tell, tell us, Miller wouldn't have made that mistake. It was a whole team. It was, at least it wasn't just me this time. But um, it was so bad that we grew a dislike for this kid that was so strong. And then he came on his recruiting visit, and we're like, we got to get this guy to come here. And he's basically, you know, he was like a phantom player. Anyway, he came here. He's a great guy. And, you know, helped, helped carry on the program. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stories like that. One thing that I, in talking with guys who played here, that I thought was really neat, what would happen in your locker room after the last game of the season with the upperclassmen? Oh, everybody would talk. You know, it's like super emotional. Um, And it would go on. Yeah, we could. I think we might have been in there for like two and a half hours my last year. Um, And uh, we all had this bright idea. When I think about this, we are we all shaved our heads the night before the final game. I don't know. I think it's Tommy Ria's idea. He's probably here. Um, and uh, I just remember these. We were just guys were just crying, and coach was crying because at the end of the season, coach would apologize to you for all the things he said to you. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew he had a heart. You know, it was the very end. Until we entered, until we left the locker room, and then you know, but um, there would be a lot of crying. I remember sitting there and looking at everybody, like we all shaved our heads and we're just standing here crying. This is what a scene! This is this is crazy. Like, and uh, but it was it was an unbelievable time. And I think for me, what it taught me was just like how teams operate, how to be a part of a team, how to get over yourself and and, and understand, you know, what you need to do to make it function. And um, uh, I think anytime you're playing sports in, in a competitive environment, you know, the other part of it is, is learning how to bounce back from, from getting beat and um, not letting that deter you, um, but constantly learning from those things. And uh, we weren't like, I don't think our team, our team was not the most talented group of guys in the world, but um, we functioned optimally as a team because I think everyone understood what they had to do and what they what they shouldn't be doing. That was Coach pretty much telling us what we shouldn't be doing. Yeah, Sam, you, you left this campus almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Someone said that to me, Adrian, someone said it to me today, he's talking to the newspaper people from the school here, and He's this, this sweet young guy, you know, is interviewing me, a student, and said, it's been almost two decades since you graduated. And I go, jeez, that was brutal. I never thought about it like that. But, yes, that's true. When you think of the kid who was walking around this place, you're, you play, people might know, pretty accomplished musician. You play gigs around. You still do. People can, every once in a while on Twitter, they'll be popping up. You'll be playing some establishment in Oklahoma City. Would you have ever imagined the life that you would have no. in professional sports coming from Emerson College? No, no, that's funny. I, I was on the uh, I was on the phone with my wife before I came over here, you know, and uh, and she, she was just checking in. We have two twin girls that are fourteen months, and my son's four and a half. Has a lot of energy, and uh, so I was just checking in to see how she was doing. 
And I was trying to explain to her, I was like, it's just, it's surreal. It's the last few days, or it's the last few coming here today because, um, it's like, it's, I'm realizing like this has happened. Like this has happened. It's crazy. So, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do this because it's, it's actually helped me, uh, it's kind of like zapped me in some ways, like how surreal and how, how grateful I am for, so much, but uh, and so many people that have allowed me and been patient with me and supported me. So uh, it, it's been it's been surreal. I couldn't have imagined it in a million years. And you know, if 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 I didn't work <clears throat> doing this uh, from from this day on, I would have said like it's more than I could ever in a million years wanted or deserved. And because there's people, I would say in the crowd tonight that are probably college students that want to get involved in the NBA or want to do what you're doing and, you know, for, and, you know, changing the media landscape and how you do it. Um, and they could do as good or better job than I, than I've done for sure. You know, opportunities, everything. And, um, I, I just think there's so many qualified people out there and, uh, but it takes it takes mentors and it takes people that believe in you and it takes good fortune and I've had I've had enough for I've had enough for a whole team good fortune wise starting in San Antonio and obviously um, into Oklahoma City so I'm just so grateful. Great, thank you, Sam. Appreciate thank it. Appreciate it, man. Great, great. Thank you, thank you guys. This is. Uh... Can, can I just can I just tell one story? Sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. to sit down. No. I, I just I want to give you a look into this guy really quick. Okay, so this is this is a real story. It's a, I think it's a real human story, and I think it's important to tell. We talked about Game Seven in Oracle Arena. You, I don't know if you even remember this. You probably don't. We got beat, uh, and it was. I mean, that series is crazy, and um, we got to Game Seven, and we were actually in control of that game up there pretty well. And they and Steph went bananas and, and finished us off. And in these arenas, you would never believe the accommodations for the teams. It's these like beautiful arenas and these biggest sport in the world, but like the teams are cramped and their coaches are changing and they're all like packed in these one room and and the game was over, our season was over, going into the season of we're going into the uh, summer of Kevin's free agency. And you know, when you're up three one, and you have a chance to do something unique like that, it's a it's a crusher. So I'm sitting in like this, like what probably was a broom closet, okay, just trying to like make sense of what had happened. And this guy uh, pokes his head in, and I'm literally this is like out of a movie. I'll never forget. I almost felt like like I was like looking down on this, and I'm like I have my I'm just looking. I'm staring into the ground, like what. How did that happen? And he poked his head and he goes, you know what? He goes, Sam, he goes, you built a championship team. There's just more than one championship team this year. And like the thought to do that during that period of time, I just think like people think that he's like nailing these tweets out and it's like, and he is obviously, but people forget how much basketball, how many teams that Adrian's been around. And that, to me, I'll never forget that because, like, I was feeling pretty lonely at that point. 
and the compassion to just basically give me that validation that in today's world, we're into like symbols of achievement. You know what I mean? And if, it's more symbolic than it is the actual pursuit or even, you know, there's only one winner, all that uh, stuff. Um, that that really, really meant something to me. But it also, I think, shows you that in this business, it's a people business. And, um, you know, as hard as these jobs are and stuff like that, like those are the, those are the stories I, I wish everyone could know because I'm sure a lot of them have those stories. And Adrian's a great example of that. Um, humanity, and that's why he can get someone like me to agree to do this. <laughs> um, um, but uh, I, I just think that's something that people should know about kind of how you operate, and, um, and that's a really impactful thing for me. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.